Manufacturing Hub. We're giving everyone a sneak peek of the conversations we have before we go live. And you want to buy a boat? Yeah, still exploring different options this season, trying to figure out what makes sense for 2024. As I was telling Preston and you, Dave, I'm more of a fishing guy and maybe a relaxing on the water slash like lake. So I probably would not be looking for a speedboat, but still needs to be solid, reliable. I've certainly had a couple of experiences getting stranded on a boat of, of which like an engine <laughs> failed. And that that's an, you know, it's a couple of hours waiting for someone to bring you back to shore. And obviously insurance covers that, but it's still something I would like to avoid. We'll get you a rowboat, Vlad. How do you feel about rowing? Vlad Power. I would much rather invest in like a second engine at that point. You know what I mean? One of those like really small. And I've seen that being done, right? Like on larger boats, I think we have a spare, really small engine that you can get yourself back to shore. But now, I've never seen anyone get themselves back to shore. That's normally while you're fishing or doing something to stay in the same place. But I look forward to seeing your two engine boat. What do you think, Preston? Should uh, Are you excited to see Vlad's two two engine boat coming up in 2024 as well? Yeah, Vlad, I recommend if you want to fish and relax, I might recommend like a pontoon boat or a deck boat or something like that. Yeah, the uh, you can sometimes get some of these boats these days with an untold number of engines on them. It seems if you go on Google and look at some of these power boats and fishing mm -hmm. boats, sometimes they have six plus engines on the rear that are hundreds of horsepower each. And my gosh, how many motors could you actually need? And they're not cheap either, so it's cool. But yeah, I think if you're doing chilling out on the lake or fishing or something like that, would be pretty cool. Yeah, should definitely be good. Absolutely. With that, everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. If you guys are longtime viewers or you're like Preston, who was on episode six the first time, which is a very long time ago, and my beard was even bushier than it currently is at the moment, Preston, you guys would may appreciate the, the flashback to how we used to start the shows. And Vlad was feeling very nostalgic today as we were getting ready to, to go ahead and kick off. If you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, again, welcome back. If you're new here, we very rarely start the show this way anymore most of the time it's just a straight cold opening and we go ahead and jump into it but we like to go ahead and change things up i would say if you guys are new here please feel free to go ahead and jump into jump into the com comments i see hank i see dan i see a number of other people in here absolutely please feel free to to go ahead and jump into the comments we do our very best in order to have a lively chat and do our very best to go pull some do our very best to go pull some comments from the chat into the live show. And we do want to thank Siemens for sponsoring this episode 125, where we talk all about standardization in automation. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and kick off. Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy down here is Vlad. Today, we've got a very special guest back after a fairly long hiatus. We've got Preston Hadley. For if you guys have not been longtime listeners, Preston was on episode six, episode 15, episode 56, and now this episode 125. And Preston, I'm not particularly sure how we managed to go like 70, how we managed to get you in three times in the first 56 episodes. And then we managed to go something like 70 episodes without having you. But Preston, thank you for being here. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's an honor, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time today, Preston. I think it's going to be a really good conversation. We've chatted for quite a bit of time in the prep call. I really am excited about what we're going to discuss today. But before we do all of that, could you give us a bit of an introduction, Preston? Tell us what your background is, what your educational background is, but ultimately walk us through what you are doing to, to what you are doing today. 
Yeah. So just to give everybody a little bit of cover of what, where I came from and what I've been doing ever since then, somewhere between 2016, 2017, I started working <clears throat> in a very basic low level position as a controls tech, or basically I was building panels for a mentor of mine at the time. I did that for a number of years, rolled into programming and engineering, electrical drawings, things like that. So I was becoming a controls engineer or controls technician, I guess, by that definition. I'm not a formally educated man, so I didn't complete college for this. I learned a lot of this on the fly, learned it in on-the-job training and <clears throat> hyper-obsessed over it in my free time as well. That's why I started the Change Life giveaway back in the day to hopefully give people hardware in their hands to get them, give them the opportunity to learn as well on their own time. The goal was to always roll that into a fully functional business and grow that into an organization over time that eventually went from just doing general controls work into turnkey automation work for our customers. So in 2019, I launched the business officially as far as creating an LLC, but I was still a one-man show for a little while thereafter. And then in 2020, started hiring, sorry, 2021, started hiring my first employee. And now we're up to, let's see, one, two, three, four employees. And we do utilize contractors these days as well. I've always been honest about the size of our company and our customers usually think we have way more than we do, but my policy has always been honesty is best policy. Yeah, we're up to four people and we just recently put in a machine shop to make parts for our turnkey builds so that we can better control our lead times on our projects for our customers. And so today where we've landed is we've went from a one-man show from 2019 to a turnkey automation shop that we're building automation equipment in a variety of sectors. So that's, we've built machines in medical, we've built machines in leak and flow testing. We've even done work in some odd, odds and ends spaces like oils and oil and gas and a few others. But primarily right now, it seems that we've been building quite a bit in medical flow leak and assembly for automotive. So. That's where we're at today, a fully functioning organization, albeit a very small organization, but we're pretty lean, mean, and, you know, really excited to prove ourselves to our customers and prove ourselves in the market. And that's where we're at today. And just to expand on that, I guess, last point a little bit for the audience, because I know we've talked about this a bit more extensively again on the off stream, but so you guys create the AutoCAD drawings, you're able to select I want to select the hardware, the software. You're also able to machine the parts. So you're able to build an entire solution. Do you work on contracts where you need to retrofit still? Because I think that's what we talked about earlier on Manufacturing Hub. So maybe what's the scope? What are the capabilities that you guys currently support? Yeah, so after running around the country as a one-man show, pretty much commissioning equipment, we rolled into doing some more active retrofitting for customers on their equipment. And then, as I said, rolled into turnkey automation. This is a very incremental process. So these days we're still dabbling in a little bit of retrofit work for some of our select customers. It's not our core work anymore. So yes, we do electrical drawings from scratch. We build control panels from scratch. We will program systems from scratch. And of course, now we're in the business of designing equipment and fabricating and machining parts. And then of course, assembling that into a turnkey solution. So we're pretty, getting pretty close to being fully turnkey for our customers where we're relying very little on outside resources for the engineering portion all the way through fabrication and assembly. So there's obvious <clears throat> things that we just don't do. We don't do sheet metal work. We're not a weld shop. We don't do a lot of welded fabrication work, things like that. But on the engineering side, yeah, we pretty much got it covered A to Z on that. 
And you do you do robotic cells as well, right? I think last time we spoke to you, you had a large FANUC arm sitting behind you right on the in the warehouse. So you do robotics, PLCs, HMI, so more like traditional automation as well, correct? Correct. Yeah. I posted recently an Epson VT6L, which is a great budget six axis arm from Epson. That's actually on a current build. I think I may have posted a photo of it sitting on its tabletop yesterday as Kyle was starting to pre-commission it and get it set up with Ethernet IP and such. So yeah, we do work with robotics. And so I guess to, to get us pressed and into the topic of standardizing automation, right? So I think that there's definitely different schools of thoughts, right? So you can say, we want to standardize on all hardware. We want to standardize, let's say on all software, or we can standardize on the way we agnostically build a solution so that it becomes portable across different platforms. So I wanted to maybe leave you with an ended question of what do you think of when we talk about standardizing automation as a general maybe term? Yeah, so you touched on software, hardware, and kind of an agnostic methodology in which you go about standardizing the things that you do. So we're a company that's in our infancy since I started at 19, 2019, sorry. And I don't have the breadth of experience to speak on standardization specifically as it relates to automation in a very experienced way. But what I do have is I have a pretty decent knack for standardization and I have a pretty decent knack for process. And so a lot of standardization that takes place in our company, for example, is on the software side, we are very standard in the way that we do things. So the methodology. So if we find something that works really well, it may not be the very best method out there if we're not aware of but we definitely take the opportunity to say, okay, for the time being, we know it works well, it gets the job done, we'll stick with that. And then we'll increment and change that as time goes on if we find better methods. That's one of my favorite things to watch employees find better methods and better ways of doing things so that we can standardize in a different way or improve upon that. But for me, standardization is about boiling things down to its most basic form for repetition and really just gaining efficiencies but also getting very consistent results out of the work that you're doing for your customer should, should be a no-brainer, right? You want to make sure that things you put out are very consistent in their quality and their appearance and their the way in which they were manufactured potentially. I mean, it'd be great to put out 10 machines and all 10 of those machines very be very similar in the way that they were designed, manufactured, programmed, and everything. For example, one of the very first things as a controls-based company where that's where we really started was in controls work. Uh, all of our programs are very standard. We did the very best we could to standardize using Allen Bradley hardware because we're in North America. But even if we were using Siemens and or another brand, we're going to try to standardize upon that platform the best that we can so that we can save ourselves time and headache as we go through. That's kind of what standardization means to me across a few of those subjects that you brought up, hardware, software, and methodology. I like it. I like it. Dave, what are your thoughts? Absolutely, Preston. So I know in some of the previous episodes you talked about, I guess, one, one, I think maybe your first book recommendation for everyone was the E-Myth Revisited. I think you had recommended it to myself and maybe Vlad even before you had come on the show the first time. And that's a lot about building the processes that, that you were talking about. Can you share kind of your experience of before hiring people, before growing, you went to go build these processes and procedures. How well did you standardize in the vacuum of this is what I think we need versus what you've experienced now 18 months later? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. I was just having a conversation with another engineer who runs a small business about this just yesterday. 
in the evening about this. So in the vacuum, before you have employees or staff or people on your team, even if they're contractors, you're, I would hope that you're trying to standardize and build process and documentation for how it is that you do what you do. When I was just a one-man show before I hired employees, I definitely did that. But I tried to pick and choose what things I would do that on. Because if you're trying to create a new process out of thin air that you're not familiar with, you're going to create something that will ultimately be radically changed in the future anyway when you bring someone else on the team who has more experience. And that's fine, but they may cut it down and trim it and may not have been, it may have been basically for nothing. What I've done since then is I've tried to be very practical on what we're building process for and we take it very incrementally one step at a time. But in that vacuum, I created a few things that today aren't even used or considered. But now, where we want to focus standardization on the process and documentation side is where can we get the biggest bang for our buck, so to speak, on where we're spending our time. Something that I explained previously to Vlad was in, in how we create just our hierarchical structure for documentation is very process driven, very documented, very consistent. And places where our employees can go and grab information is also the very same way. So if you're getting a ton of inquiry on I think like any engineering business, probably their heart of their business is their documentation structure where it's stored, where people can get to it, whether it's internal staff or whether it's a customer or whether it's you yourself. That was one of the biggest first, sorry, one of the largest first tasks I took on was standardizing that because constantly you have everybody working out of that same location, that same file structure. So that was really important. So in the vacuum, yeah, you test things out and make assumptions and then you find out in reality that those are not going to work out. So they get edited or deleted, basically. Yeah. And if I may, Preston, I think it's difficult maybe to paint a picture of that process without showing explicitly or having someone gone through that process to <coughs> understand what it usually takes, but maybe to boil it down to something simple, right? Like once a project is approved or is kicked off or paid for or agreed upon, you need to, at the very least, create a structure of different deliverables, right? And that entails setting up yourself for a, I want to say, for an organization that knows who's doing which task. And that ultimately boils down to we need to create sub separate folders. We need to create separate files. So there's a lot of this sort of administrative overhead that is usually overseen. And in, in my personal experience, even the largest companies, that process is not as standard as what you've created. And I think it's really, how to say it, incredible to see what you've built and how much it simplifies that process. And there's even small things. Again, I know this because I've run into this problem, but even on Google Docs, you cannot simply copy paste a very large folder structure that you would need for a project. And you've implemented ways to automate that to facilitate, again, the process of replicating those projects. So I think there's a lot of details that are going to be difficult to illustrate in this conversation, but ultimately it saves a lot of time on the overhead when it comes to automation projects and allows, as you've said, to deliver something that is a lot more consistent and ultimately meets client expectations. You probably have a lot less misses than you would otherwise if everything was just ad hoc created. So. Yeah, correct. At the, at the An example at the heart of standardization is that the project folder structure for every project is the exact same. Imagine if you're entry-level employee, you're brought into an organization and you sit down at your desk or maybe cubicle or office or whatever, 
at your PC and they're like, all right, we need you to go into the bill of materials and add these items or remove these items or start working on that document. Where do I find that? It should be very intuitive. If you were to go into the first project and you're like, okay, I found it. I, I went down through this structure and now I, I know where this bill of materials document is or whatever document you're looking for. And I, now I know where to find that. But if you go to the very next project, again, you're within your first week of your new job. And then you're like, it's not in the exact same place. It's not even named the same. I had to hunt and peck for it for 30 minutes. Yep. Yeah. You just lose a ton of time. And I think people have to reinvent their job every day. Uh, so standardization in general, I think just keeps people from reinventing their job every day. And I enjoy the challenge of cross-platform development. We've never used Mitsubishi before. Let's try Mitsubishi or let's try some other brand. And that's pretty exciting and pretty fun and brings challenges along the way. But of course, what it also brings is it's a non-standard platform or it's a non-standard way of writing a program or maybe it's non-standard in the way that you typically interface a device with that, that platform. So yeah, you'll come across some hurdles, but what's really nice is if you happen to take on that new challenge, you can develop documentation and process that uh, without a ton of effort that can help you cross that bridge again later. And, and not just you, maybe you did it this time. Maybe John's doing it next time. Maybe Eric is doing it the following time. So these two other guys could bypass a lot of kind of initial upfront training if they're, if everything's very consistent, if they can follow along with easy to read documentation. Yeah. A few other examples of standardization that I've been pushing for since day one and have been working on is we generate code. There's a lot of code that is pretty much always the same input mapping, output mapping, debounce stuff, sequencing, right. And also AOIs are used on valve or cylinders or pumps or tanks. We constantly iterate those tools, those individual functions, but we do it in a way that we could use it in another application. And that's helped us rapidly spin up projects on the control side that otherwise I got to write this all from scratch again. And, and just making AOIs is also a huge time saver, but that's not just what we're doing. We're also generating all of that. L5X in particular from Studio 5000 is just XML code. So really you can do pretty unbelievable things to your heart's content if you're just willing to get in there and do some scripting. So that's what we've done. We've created some scripts and some documents and some applications that we can go in. We're making that more unified over time, but we could go in there and plug in a ton of data and information once our electrical drawings are done and come out with something that saves us a lot of time. And again, it's the same as the last project as the project before that, et cetera, et cetera. The only things that change are the real meat and potatoes, the logic, right? The auto sequence looks and feels the same, but it may have 20 or 30 more steps than the last program that we did. It may have other, it may have motion control or it may not have motion control, et cetera. Absolutely. Let me ask a follow-up question to that, Preston. I know we've talked a lot about what you guys are doing internally, but we all know that you don't get to go build code or go build machines in a vacuum. There, there have to be customers yeah. and the, those customers, I imagine, have processes and standardization all the way from assumably better than yours to the, this is what we think that we need to do. We don't particularly really understand that. Can you, from your machine builder perspective, share kind of the differences and what makes your job easier versus what make might, might make the job more difficult depending upon where the end user is in relation to standardizing their kind of package of everything? Sure. So you're asking what it's like for us as an integrator working with these customers from a standardization standpoint? Yes. 
Yeah, I'm, I've been in plants where the entire plant is the same brand of equipment all the way from the first process to the last process, in which it's like a dream where you know that, let's say, these 50 to 100 pieces of equipment are all written by the same programmer or using the same structure that original programmer perpetuated through all of their equipment as they rolled it out. From that perspective, it's phenomenal. And of course, for the plant side, they're loving it too. All of their equipment is standardized on hardware and software. So for them, it's a dream. They get to stock certain things and they get to expect certain things. And it, there's a level of consistency that's extraordinarily refreshing. From our perspective, on the integration side, so trying to standardize post kind of COVID supply chain things is getting easier. Through the last couple of years, we've had to navigate and you've had to just break it up a little bit and just do what you had to do to make it work. But outside of that, if you take away that part of the equation, standardizing from our point of view, pretty decent. Like we're going to find that we're probably able to use the core control system most important, sorry, most of the time for the most part. And obviously the mechanical side gets a little iffy. I think we just, we had a customer that they'd rather expect like PhD rather than SMC or something like that. And so it throws a kind of a wrench into our system a little bit, but we're also building machines that are custom. So we're not building these off the shelf, like catalog machines, I guess is what you call them. So yeah, from our perspective, it's amazing. Our guys can go in on pieces of equipment that we've done from whenever, and they can years from now, they'll be able to go back and go, Hey, this is incredibly consistent to what I've worked with before. And we're able to get in there and make a bigger impact in a shorter period of time. And actually for that fact, maintenance personnel, I'm not sure if you brought that up, but they're a huge part of keeping plants run. That's their entire job. When maintenance personnel go into, go into a piece of envision equipment, they know what to expect. Very consistent. And I've done work with organizations that the two exact same machines have two different sets of code. And that just wreaks havoc when you're trying to make something run. What if you were to go to that first A, A piece of equipment and, okay, I've made this alteration here so that the machine can run one or two more cases per hour, or it can process 10 or 20 more parts per hour, or maybe I just fixed a quality issue on that machine. If you go to the B machine that's identical to it in most every way, but then the program's can, written completely differently, it's going to wreak havoc. I'm crap. I, I wish I could just apply what I just did on the first machine, copy and paste. I should copy and be able to copy and paste that, go in there, troubleshoot it, and make sure it's running, and then I can move on to the very next thing that I'm doing today. But yeah, I've too many times talked to maintenance personnel where they're dealing with a plant full of obviously different brands, but even within those same brands or those same integration firms, they're having these wild inconsistencies. And I understand that's from a lot from turnover. It's either from turnover or it's from the fact that they have a large team and hey, this person likes to program this way and the other person likes to program the other way. There there should be no excuse for it in my opinion. In my opinion, it should be consistent if the machines operate similar, look similar, even if they aren't the same machine, why not program them in a very similar fashion? Why not wire them and label them in a similar fashion? Don't use heat shrink here where you're using sticky labels there. Don't, I, I know I'm speaking very common sense stuff here, but that's just the way that when you get down to it, we're trying to make parts, we're trying to make production. A lot of people on the maintenance side and management side don't have a lot of tolerance for inconsistency. And I think that consistency is where everything matters. For example, I don't, I don't wear anything other than this when I come to work. Every single day, everyone knows this is where I work. This is my company color and this is what I look like and act and talk like. 
So to be very consistent is very comfortable for people in general from a psychological standpoint. If you're if I'm dressing like this one day and the next day I come in a big brown coat and I don't have this on and my glasses are off and I got a big beard, it's going to be a little weird. It's going to throw them off. And that's just from a purely psychological standpoint. But yeah, I think that how the customers take it is they love it for the obvious reasons, obvious benefits. But for us, <coughs> excuse me, going into, into these situations with customers, it's a huge benefit for us too. It's a real win-win on either side and for the exact same reason. And if I can add, I guess, like Preston, I think that for the customers, it's not always easy to see those maybe like differences and what they equate to down the road, right? Because ultimately, in my mind, what that translates to, and I've seen this happen on projects where let's say an integrator comes in, they're obviously going to do some due diligence on, let's call it like five machines. And if they're going to be different, then there's going to be a lot more budget or time allocated to, hey, like we need to fully investigate each one of those use cases to adapt our code. And so ultimately, it's not always easy to quantify what that delta is going to be versus like, hey, we can apply like one single piece of code to all those five machines. And so it becomes very disjointed, right? But at some point, they will have to either upgrade or they're going to have to retrieve data or they're going to have to change platforms, whatever that may be. But it's not as apparent initially to someone who hasn't seen those problems play out, but it ultimately translates to hours and money for the business. And it becomes mm -hmm. for the integrator to work on that equipment. Yeah. Yeah. So, something that I picked up along the way in business and in general, and it speaks to that a little bit is the fact that if you're forced to use a variety of components, if you're forced to use a variety of software and other hardware, I understand that. I think that, how do I put it? I think it's much more important on how it is that you do business with your customers, how it is that you deliver these projects than necessarily what it is that you're doing. Does that make sense? So if your customer is receiving a quality piece of equipment, it's delivering what it's supposed to be delivering as far as production value and have you delivered it in such a way that is consistent with how you do business with that customer and every other customer every single time. That's the ultimate standardization is let me go off, off like sub, not off subject, but I guess off script a little bit here in the fact that if you were to go through a drive through, this is such a obvious kind of thing to point out, but if you go through like a chain restaurant, right to go through a chain restaurant, it's incredibly consistent every single time. If you go through that same chain restaurant for five or 10 years, it might be that somewhere along the way they changed something in the materials used in the foods. Beef patty may change in where it's coming from, what breed cow it's coming from. It may change in taste a little bit. Maybe didn't have as much pepper that time. But the truth is, if you go through a chain restaurant as a, again, a wild example, but you go through that experience over and over and it's incredibly wildly consistent. <coughs> then the rest of that is ancillary to your experience. If you're getting what you asked for, if you're getting it in a consistent manner and you're getting it in a quality manner, that's really all that truly matters. It's I've watched companies put out equipment. And again, back in my commissioning days, they put out equipment. The plant is saying, Hey, there's, here's like a punch list of 30 or 40 bugs that we'd really worked out. We've been begging for these to be fixed. These are anomalies. These are bugs. We'd really like them done. And more often than not, even if they're not completely satisfied with the equipment, they're just happy that you're willing to come in there and support 
the equipment that you promised them would work. I think that a, a consistent and diligent attitude towards support on your equipment beyond standardization, but again, it ties into it. If you are supporting one customer incredibly well and not the other, you're way off base, man. You're going to have an incredibly hard time expanding your business and building trust with your customers and making a good relationship. Like I said, you may have different materials. You may have a different safety controller this time than last time. And yeah, they're probably not going to be super happy about that, but they're also going to learn to live with it. We had to learn to live with a lot of stuff over the last couple of years. <clears throat> as long as how it's delivered in a quality way, in a consistent way, I think you get a lot from that. I think the customer can appreciate that. Absolutely. I actually really like the analogy of the consistency, right? And I think that the consistency is important, especially as you go to standardize your organization and especially as you go to, to grow your business, as you were discussing. So I super appreciate that, Preston. I would like to, you had brought up earlier, you've seen some things change, especially during the last couple of years of COVID, especially as you go to, to grow larger. Have you seen end users more interested or more willing to go swap out hardware outside of a theoretical standard in order to get machines up and running? Have you seen like a number of other people with a very long backlog waiting for specific parts to come in so you can go ship those machines? What have you been seeing and what are the conversations that you've been having with your customers around that? Yeah, I think that a lot of customers are just willing to get the equipment up and going as soon as possible. I think that in a lot of the conversations I've had with them, our customers, they're usually, what can we do? I actually recently just flew to Oregon for a customer that had a panel that had point IO failing in it. This is a brand new point IO. And I think we, we did the electrical drawings and built the back panels, but we weren't responsible for the enclosures of this project. So we shipped back panels to them and they were to install them and all of that. But what we eventually found out was that no thermal management considerations had been made on these panels. So they were outside, they got very hot and the point IO modules started to fail. These modules were reaching excessive temperatures and we did a heat study on site and everything else. But one of the very first questions from the customer was, can we get these parts, man? This is a huge concern that we've had problems for the last several years. Can we even get these? We are down right now and we have big problems. They started discussing, can we rob parts from other machines? Can we, we don't run those all the time. Can we just take parts from those? And I said, yeah, sure, but we don't have enough. So the conversation happened of, could we look at maybe swapping those out entirely for another brand or something like that? And then it was, what do you guys suggest? There's tons of distributed items. Which one do you go with? Like we've used Wagner, we've used Rockwell and Siemens and much other brands, but what is available and what is recommended by us, the integrator to, to get them up and going to supplement them and get them going. So yeah, they've definitely been open to, Hey, let's replace that with something different. As long as it gets us up and going, that's really all that truly matters. Uh, but as far as getting that stuff, yeah, it's definitely gotten easier for sure. And so I think since our company is in, like I said, in its infancy, starting in 2019, we didn't have the experience of some of these more seasoned integrators of, Hey, we can just stock this stuff on the shelf, or we can at least rely on our distributors to have this stuff stocked and be able to really standardize on the hardware side up until right about now, really. So for us now, it's nice because we know we can standardize on this particular safety controller and this PLC and that HMI and IO block or whatever else. It's really great. I was envious 
when I started building machines in our company, I was like, man, it sure would be nice if we could just rely on the supply chain to get us what we need when we need it. Instead of getting a quote back that tells me I'm waiting half a year for something, I was just, <laughs> I'm like, all of you guys that have been in the industry for a decade or more, I'm incredibly jealous of you. So I hope you know that. Just knowing that you're going to get something when you need to get it. So yeah, it's definitely gotten better on that front. And yeah, customers have definitely been more flexible than ever, I think. And they just had to be, for sure. We have a good comment based on that story, Preston. Jay saying hello from Pennsylvania. Thermal management should be almost a standard for panels, whether a simple small fan for hot climates or a small heater for colder climates. But I guess as you've explained, you were yeah. just putting in the back planes. You were not necessarily building the entire kind of enclosure of the panel. And thus, it was not under your purview. But yes, I definitely would agree with Jay. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. We've normally always put a small fan into an enclosure. And in all reality, these are, they're in the outdoors. They should be probably AC'd, to be completely honest with you. And by the way, Point IO generates a significant amount of heat as well. The EP24 DC inline power distribution modules are actually pretty hot. So I would definitely always encourage putting thermal management on a panel for sure. I agree with him. Yeah, and it depends also, again, <laughs> you can probably, they probably have data sheets that will tell you right, like how many modules, how many, because I can't remember, you need to have those power supplies ever like two amps or so. If I'm yeah, not I think mistaken. They, so, they roughly, in the documentation, I think it's like roughly every 13 modules, depending on what yeah. module you have in there, correct? Yeah, but, we normally uh, do much less than that, for sure. We want to make sure we have plenty of power going down there. But yeah, I'd say it's easy to fall in the trap of saving the costs, right? Of we don't mm -hmm. need anything for this enclosure. It's just going to be a box. We're going to leave it there. It's not going to be open. It's not going to be serviced. It's not going to get hot. And then mm -hmm. the money that you've saved initially for that deployment is going to be paid in those modules, I'm sure, and then more for whatever else failed, plus the downtime. So I'm certain that they've learned, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm sure that somebody has learned some lesson in, in those yeah. modules melting. Well, they've, I, all, uh, they've obviously had to do a number of those things. They've had to open yeah. the panel. They've had to service the panel. Jeez Louise. Yeah, I think some, I don't know, I've met a few people that I think it's stuck in the trap. That, yeah, this will probably be closed and never opened again, and it's probably just going to run for years and years. You'd mm -hmm. be surprised. You could put that panel in a facility that's 65 degrees Fahrenheit, perfect temperature, no humidity, and you're still opening that panel. Just expect that. <laughs> I've seen those. Not quite 65, but fairly well climate controlled. And at some point, they're having issues with HMIs because it's a little tower, it's a little pedestal, and it is overheating. And if it's overheating in the winter in a northern climate, it's not good. And it will only continue to get worse. And it did only continue to get worse. But I feel for as many people who can possibly listen to the need of thermal th thermal management, thermal control, there will still be, I don't know, five or 600 different groups who learn that the hard way again this year. And I also want to go shout out one of Dan's comments talking about having to deal with duplicate machines not long ago. They were even labeled A and B, but were programmed completely differently. Even the HMIs were different. I always appreciate Dan. Dan Dan's comments actually bring me the most pain of, I think, anyone's comments who talks about the stories of we've all had to learn the lessons the hard way. Uh, I want to absolutely continue with this, but first we have some people to thank. We want to thank the folks at Siemens for sponsoring standardization, standardization in automation, sustainability, product customization, digitalization, and new techniques and competitors. Manufacturing continues to grow more complex. Standardization is our answer to these challenges. The more standardized technologies, systems, processes, and interfaces become, 
the faster and more cost-effective you can drive your automation and digitalization forward. How can you boost your flexibility and competitiveness? What probably happens when you change to the machine supplier and then have to integrate automation systems from different vendors? Without standardization, you need more employees with different skills, you lose flexibility and on-time integration process, and you have to expect longer downtimes. With standardization, you avoid these problems and gain both flexibility and competitive advantages. You want to learn more? Check out the link that we're going to go ahead and drop in, Siemens.com, a whole bunch of slashes and standardization. So if you guys want to learn more, please feel free to go ahead and check that out. We will go ahead and drop that in the notes of all the chats. And if you guys are listening in podcast form, please go check the show notes. That should be that should be in all of those places. But no, Preston, I think that this is super interesting talking about what you're doing internally versus what you're seeing with customers and some of the benefits of standardization. What When you are having conversations with customers, are you talking to them about standardization, either what you guys are doing internally or perhaps some ways that they could go make their processes and facilities better? Not so much on the second part, but on the first part, yeah. So we're, we don't do a lot of consultation on facilities and existing equipment unless we're integrating with that in some way. But for us, yeah, we definitely have the conversation of standardization on our side. It usually crops up whenever we have a customer bring an issue up about a particular component or a particular way of doing things when it comes to the design review of the project, whether it's on the controls, pneumatics, or mechanical. And we'll typically go in and say, this is... Basically, we'll make our case. We'll say, hey, this is why we do it this way. This is why we're able to compete in the market. And this is what will ultimately effectively basically edit the schedule of this project in a positive way. We can save a ton of time by sticking with this. If we're going to start incorporating things that are really off and far left field for us, it just takes that additional development time to, we've never dealt with it before, to get used to it and integrate it. So yeah, that's normally where that crops up between us and our customers. And what are the reactions to your customers? Because I feel like every time you show me what you built, I would be like super envious thinking, hey, they have already brought this much standardization and documentation internally. Think of what they're going to do as they they build the next 10 employees versus what we have, which may be a file and folder structure that varies from one person to the next. Yeah. So I think it's usually a pretty positive reaction. So when we work with our customers, they get to see some of that consistency up front that comes from the standardization that we've implemented. And again, that's from hardware, software, process, and just in general, how we present ourselves. So yeah, no, it's always been a pretty positive reaction. I don't think you'll get much of a negative reaction unless your standardization and and the consistency that comes from that is not great. If it's something that's objectively not a good thing, or maybe it comes off in a very different way. I definitely have worked with people that are like very brute about it. They're like, nope, this is how we do it. If you don't like it, find somebody else, goodbye. And it comes off very brash, I guess you Mm -hmm. could say, or very brute or very rude. No, I think we've always had a pretty positive reaction from our customers, as far as I can remember, on interacting with us on that front. So yeah, I mean, it's even how we onboard customers and standardized and onboard vendors and put out RFQs and all that stuff. It's all very standard. And it again, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be this brand new program we wrote from scratch and implemented and it's fully automated or anything like that. It just needs to be the same every time. The way you name your POs, the way you name your invoices, the way you talk to your customers, or the way you write your code. So that it's got to be consistent. 
And you say it's not rocket science, but the reality is, again, based on some of the examples we talked through, Preston, yesterday, is that most or a lot of the companies that I've been to don't have them implemented or in place. And I think you've we've discussed an instance where you had to find a specific part inside of a maintenance department or a shop, and it took a long time to figure out where that part was. And the reality is, having worked in maintenance departments, I can tell you that even the largest of at least food and beverage manufacturers don't have very consistent systems. And when it comes to, let's say, finding those automation parts, you have to just go through shelves upon shelves and trying to find the part that you're looking for. And you could argue that it should be a fairly simple and standard and understood at this point practice, but it is not as I want to say, widespread as it, as it probably should be. And maybe to bring us to the conversation ultimately and how we should see this beyond just, I can find the part easier, right? But then there's more like intrinsic factors, right? So if you're a business owner, that ultimately means you're positioning your company as a bit less reliant on you, right? So if I want to, let's say, acquire in the future Envision Automation, let's say if that's the goal, that I'm not having to have Preston chained, metaphorically speaking, to the company in order for it to function, right? Preston is not going to be the the person that runs that business until the end of its days. And ultimately, if you're looking at it from a maybe end user standpoint, and I'll allow you to elaborate on all of this in a second, then you're ultimately not having to come in every single evening, night, or whatever to able to answer those questions and and i've certainly had to come into that so i understand the pain points and i think once you are in that position it becomes very apparent why you need to standardize a lot of those more like business practices but i guess what are your thoughts on on that yeah so you know your example of being in a maintenance department and there's these systems in place or maybe there's not but nonetheless you Either the systems failed or there's none in place and you're over here basically scrounging through shelves trying to find a part. I'll give you a really great ex- counter example to that or not counter example, sorry, a comparable example to that. We created like this internal inventory system for managing our inventory as it comes in, putting it into a very specific place and location so that we knew where to get those parts for the projects. It was made up of bins with QR codes and particular locations on racks and there was a custom built app for it that included sometimes photographs and quantities and vendors and what job it went to and it was pretty awesome actually and it taught us a lot of things but it also taught us that we over-engineered the crap out of that yeah Mm -hmm. we over-engineered the absolute heck out of it It, there's some things i think maybe that's a conversation that's important to have in, in in this particular podcast is that standardization sometimes taken too far maybe not standardization but maybe standardization of particular systems gone too far can even be more of a hindrance than a help. For example, for us now, we're allocating basically these totes or bins to our projects and we're putting them nearby our projects and we're checking parts into those. We know that it's been received because we can look in our software and see it was received, but as far as where it's physically located, we know that we put it over there. If we didn't put it over there, we know it could get misplaced and that's just part of doing business. Some things happen like that. But since we've switched over from this unbelievably busy and overly complex application, which required actually a lot of work to to put these parts in specific locations, take the photographs of them and document the fact that they were brought in, where we can just now as an administrative position, we can just basically say, hey, on the packing slip should be the job number and put that over in the basically specific area where the job is in a bin. It's pretty simple. 
And so we haven't had anything get lost or gets missing or anything like that. So now we have a really basic system. It is basic, but nonetheless, it at least gets the job done efficiently. And it's, again, it's really consistent. So I think that sometimes over-standardization can be a massive hindrance because unless you've got every nut and bolt figured out, which you never do, especially in custom automation, you just don't. To standardize 100% on everything, never going to happen. You can strive to do that on the things that make a real impact. And I know I keep driving this home, but for us, it's one of the bigger ones was obviously on the controls programming side, but the other one is on the business process side. So I think that for specifically in automation, like on the client side, on the customer side, they're getting both. They're getting the fact that you've standardized in the programming. So machine A and machine B are consistent. That's pretty awesome. But they're also getting this really consistent standardized interaction with you. It makes business easier for them. So like their finance department knows how to deal with you, purchasing their management department knows how to deal with you. And then the people that you're dealing with directly, like project managers, supervisors, on-site engineers, and then even the operators of the equipment, they get this really kind of consistent interaction with you. And it really just makes everything a little more efficient in the whole process of things. It makes it easier to get projects approved on our end. It makes it easier for them to get them approved on their end from their management. So it's overall, I think keeping things as simple as possible, removing all of the fluff from the process that you're trying to standardize. I think that helps out dramatically. And again, we're in our infancy. I'm learning every single day. I, and I'll, I'm, I consider myself a lifelong learner. I don't claim to know everything. I never will. And so it's one of those perspectives that every day is a new day to learn something new and implement something new and sometimes to delete it. Maybe this was something we didn't actually need. Maybe it just created more work and more headache than it actually saved. You know what I mean? Yeah, what made you realize, if I can ask, like, that the application was overly engineered? Because I've certainly encountered maybe software that was, like, on the PLC side, had, like, too many AOIs, and then it's, like, an AOI nested inside of an AOI inside of an AOI. And then I thought, maybe we've gone a bit too far with this entire standard. But in that case of the business process, how did you think about, maybe this has gone too far, we need to pull back on, on the application? Yeah, that, that specific example, it came down to time versus money. Like we were trying to figure out, we want to build the system because we want to be able to make sure we have parts where we're supposed to have them, when we're supposed to have them. And we were having a small problem of just disorganization is really what it was. So I seen disorganization and thought we must develop this, this system the way that we want it to work instead of trying to get some off the shelf system and we'll save time and money that way. So we'll just develop something in house that's pretty basic. But then just rolled into something that was like a bunch of wants and a few needs. And it became very idealistic. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. This is a really nice little internal project. But where I decided that it was not worth it was, okay, the amount of product that was being misplaced and causing us to hunt and peck for it and sometimes being lost altogether. Yeah, that's not being outweighed by what we just created. What we just created is actually just causing more work. Yeah, we may have gotten rid of some of the issues that we were having, and that's what started this whole process, got us on this path to creating this little application. But at the end of the day, now we're, we have this application, but now it's just creating a ton of work. And then now it's become an inefficiency. And I'm just sitting there weighing, was it really even worth it? And it wasn't. It most certainly wasn't. So yeah, I'm not trying to throw $10,000 at a $200 problem. So that trying to understand, and organizations do that all the time because there's some miscommunication between departments or something or between management and operators and they're like what would solve the problem and 
by the time you bring, you know, like maybe you bring an integrator in or a controls group in to fix something and they go, yeah, we've gotten quotes from three different companies ranging from a couple thousand up to $20,000 to fix this problem. You then have an integrator come in and go, yeah, no, I think I could fix your problem from like a couple hundred dollars and it'll be done today. Seriously, we just put in a really basic conveyor accounting application that when we were first asked about it and presented to us, they're like, we could use vision, right? I said, yeah, you could, but it's going to be, that's pretty expensive. You're using vision to count product going down a conveyor. Let's think about this subjectively. Can we use anything else to count the product going down the conveyor? Anything discrete possibly? And they're like, we, we know about laser distance sensors. We can use those. I said, yeah, but your packaging, it's got some translucent or sorry, transparent packaging and there's different pro products in there and it's not always the same height. I said, so I don't know, that might be a little sketchy. So let's look into it. Ultimately, we decided on ultrasonic discrete sensors from Banner and put two of those puppies above the conveyor now it just sits there and counts. So we gave them a solution that was a couple thousand bucks versus a vision solution with a bunch of extra stuff and spending $20,000 or something like that. So yeah, I think that communication, I think, is a big key on making sure that you can pull off standardization. But yeah, de definitely don't try to standardize for the sake of standardizing. Standardize where mm -hmm. it matters, I guess is what I'm saying. Dave, there's a good question in chat for press. But before we get to that question in chat, and we will get there in just a sec, Sean, I want to go follow up on, on pressing kind of your comments of, of sometimes you can go build processes and procedures and attempt standardizing, and it's too much. So if you're talking to a person who is starting or has a small automation company now and it's, well, I want to get where Preston has to get, but it seems, or where you are, but it seems like it's so much work. Where should I start? So if the question is, where should someone start? What is your best recommendation? Where someone should start with standardization? Yep. Or standard in, internal standardization and processes. If you're the owner, I would start on the business processes first, how you interact with the customer, on the administration, accounting, that side of it. If you're in the engineering side of things and you're co-owner, co-founder of a small business that's in automation, then obviously yep. I would say that you need to start off in whatever is impacting the business most directly in the engineering area. If you're finding that code is just different every single time, tackle that first. That's the core competency of controls is making sure you have consistent programming across your PLCs and HMIs. It just causes massive inefficiencies in your team. And again, it frustrates them. Trust me, they wish that they they wish that they could do it the same every time, or mm -hmm. relatively speaking, of course, it's not always exactly the same, but standardize what you can that has the highest impact on the business today. If you are a one-man show, what can I do today that if I standardized it and documented it, that way I could do it the same every time, or maybe in automation, right? You may do some kind of scripting automation to automate something. What can I do now that most directly impacts the business in a positive fashion? What saves me time? What saves me heartache? That's where you need to focus. One of the very first things that I did as a one-man show was I standardized my programming because I wanted to make sure that everywhere I went and anyone I hired behind me was like, wow, this is incredibly consistent. This is awesome. Because you could go to one project in one state and go to a project in another state or maybe even down the road and you know exactly how to navigate what I created. 
and what the next person has created and so on and so forth. And of course, those things can adapt. I do understand that you may have generations mm -hmm. of processes or ways of doing things that are V1, V2, don't get me wrong. And those may progress into something completely different eventually. But that's a whole other conversation that, that, that makes sense to me. But yeah, I'd say for small business owners and automation in general, whether you're doing automation builds or controls or just engineering on the mechanical side, I would highly recommend look at your day objectively, break down what it is that you're doing, break down what it is that your management, your team mm -hmm. is doing and your technicians and go, what can I do today? Focus on one thing at a time. What can I do today to improve this? And that's the thing that you want to start immediately working on a standard for. And you're also going to have to just accept that certain things are really hard to standardize. That's another thing. There are certain mm -hmm. things that are very hard to do this copy and paste action on. Other things very easy. Like we have onboarding emails that we send out. It's nothing fancy. When we have a new vendor or a new customer, we send out an onboarding e email, gives them a form, they fill out that form, it gives us all the information we need to bring them into the system. But that email is a template in Google. It's just a Google email template. And so we can just put in the email address, select the template, hit send. It's super simple. It is a little manual, but who cares? At least it's consistent each and every time. And I don't, I'm not having to sit there and write out that email every time. Hey, would you please like onboard? Oh, where's that link? I got to go find it. got to copy it. And again, this is on the business process side of things. But yeah, I would just focus on whatever it is that you take note of that's a big enough problem that you just immediately notice it on the daily and just focus on that one thing and work on that. Because I think that a lot of people get hung up on this, man, we have to do this stuff overnight. It has to be the whole company. It has to be the, everything we do. We got to, this pen goes here. <laughs> we keep the drill set over here and oh my gosh, we have to write standard emails and the way that we do code and the way that we do proposals. But the truth is it's all incremental. It takes time, but you do need to be, if you're the owner of a company, you need to be the person spearheading that in a small business for sure. No one else is going to do that for you. Like you could definitely have some really entrepreneurial employees that really want to go out there and make a difference in the business and, and help you along that journey. But they've got to, you've got to set the example. They've got to see that, right? You got to set the tone, give them something to follow. And ultimately after that, they can run with it. Yeah, I think that's probably what small business owners automation should focus on first is whatever, again, very ambiguous answer. I understand that, but I would focus mm -hmm. on whatever the biggest problem <laughs> is facing you today. And probably more than often than not, that's a time problem. We're spending way too much time in this area. And I know we should be spending less time in this area. It's really all that is at the, at the beginning is just where can I save time for myself and for my guys? Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that that's great, Preston. I would like to, uh, to go a bit to Sean's question. And I think we covered the question a bit earlier, but, but I think it is a good question. And Dan has already thrown an answer in the chat. Nonetheless, so Sean is saying, how do you handle equipment standardization if the customer has older equipment that runs a defunct line of processors? Or perhaps it's clear that the older platform is no longer serving the needs or is not capable of running the new piece of equipment. How would you go ahead and handle that? And I guess before we go ahead and tee that up for you, I guess we'll say, is that something that you typically run into with your current and existing clients? Yes, it seems like what Sean's asking is more geared towards retrofitting of older equipment. So yeah, no, we, it, there's a, it's about a, a bit, a little bit of a mix. So we've been in situations where it is much easier to upgrade that, that PLC to a newer generation of that same brand and flavor and try to basically take the program that we've 
that was already written and try to just port that over and, and so to speak we're going to try to mm -hmm. copy and paste it and modify it from a slick 500 platform to a compact logics platform or something like that or control logics or whatever and then we're going to get down in the weeds and debug that usually on site of course if it's a large line but there's also been a few instances where we've ran into the program's been lost and the cpu died and we don't really know what to do we'd have no recourse here and we don't have any backups and we can't, the oem went out of business 20 years ago mm -hmm. in that instance where we can't just basically copy and paste or migrate i guess would be the best term migrating an, an old program to a newer platform then yeah we will definitely attempt to write that from scratch and when we do that we will use our standards it's it, for us it doesn't make much financial sense or business sense to say we could try to write it any other way but the truth is if you want this done in the most cost-effective manner we'll write it how we write it and it'll be very clean standard commented and easy to follow that's how we've usually approached that but that again that's geared towards retrofitting equipment it sounds or mm -hmm. upgrading equipment absolutely no i think all of those are good points and preston thank you so much for going and answering all of these questions now i have prepared you that one of my most funnest new questions i think since the last time you've been on is going and asking you to predict the standard or going to predict the future of what standardization looks like so i'd like to ask you what you think that the future of standardization either with Envision looks like, or maybe small to medium-sized automation companies, do you think we're going to standardize more on the processes and procedures? What do you think the future of that looks like? Yeah, I'll probably speak more to Envision than anybody else, but for us, what the future of standardization looks like is basically just giving people the ability to have these resources at their fingertips yep. for creating new standards for themselves, but also just finding what we, what is it that we do and how do we do it? I think one of the biggest things in organizations I've worked in is, Tim, where in the world is that document that we use? And by the way, is that even the most up-to-date document? So there's no real great way to have that answer solved in an automatic way. Like someone has to maintain that document, someone has to publish it, someone has to let people know where the heck it is. Yep. So there's some education there, but yeah, the future for standardization with Envision is we're gonna continue to standardize. For example, we've, we've standardized and controls we've standardized in business and in process and again that's incremental it's over time so we're not 100 percent there and you'll never be 100 percent there but for example for us we're we have a new machine shop so now we're learning how to standardize that for the first time i have some experience in that from my previous life definitely was not a machinist or toolmaker, but i definitely ran equipment and understand it so there's a lot of work that gets done there between me myself and the people that we bring on the team but standardization for us in the future <clears throat> I think it needs to be made as fluid and as accessible as possible. If you're not going to, sorry, if you're going to standardize on anything, how do you maintain that if you're not giving people the information and tools to do so? In my mind, I think it's maybe even harder to deliver standardization than to actually just standardize. So how do you maintain a culture of people that would like to make, uh, sorry, how do you keep a culture of people that like to maintain standardization and grow that? I don't know, it's, very, it's a very complicated thing, but that's basically where we're headed. And my number one focus is to continue to push that outside of, of course, running the company and making customers happy. My number one thing is to build an organization that works like a machine in that fact, but in a very hum humanity-driven way, we're humans at the end of the day. So 
it's not very robotic, of course, but, uh, but yeah, I think the future of standardization for us is to make that really as much as possible accessible to every person that comes in the organization, pretty much from day one. Like I said, the delivery of that's got to be more difficult than just writing the SLP or saying, hey, this is what we stick with. I read a, a post on LinkedIn the other day. I think it must have been Sean Dotson. I think he had said that when he was at R&D, they, maybe it was him. I hope I'm not speaking incorrectly on this, but I think it was him or someone in one of the comments said, yeah, we stocked two PLCs on the shelf and that was pretty much it. We stocked like a, a middle of the road PLC and then we stopped like a high horsepower PLC so that we standardized on, hey, this is what we use. We use the big guy for all of our more complicated projects and we use the little guy for everything else. That's a great, that's a great tactic. I understand the simplicity of that keeps it simple. I'm not over here hunting and pecking for all these different part numbers and hey, which PLC out of all of these hundreds of part numbers really best fits the project? When you could just say this one handles everything else we do that's on the smaller side, this one handles everything else we do on the larger side. Just pick whichever one makes the most sense. I get that. And I think that's a, in some instances, that's a great way to go about it, keep it as simple as possible. But at the same time, we're also trying to drive down costs on a daily basis of the work that we're doing. And this helps the company stay sustainable. It also keeps, keeps things down on price for our customer too. When it comes to relaying that information, like what he had posted on, hey, this is the two PLCs we use. How do you relay that information? How do the employees best find that? So if I'm a new engineer at that company and I'm sitting here designing a control system, how in the world would I know, except for word of mouth, this is what we use either this one or this one. That's the challenge. The challenge is getting that standardization out of your brain onto paper, but then onto paper and distributed in a way that's easy for the staff and the, the people that you employ to consume and actually utilize efficiently, I think is probably a big thing. I've seen a lot of other companies of different varieties, not just automation and manufacturing, but I've been around and I've seen other companies do this very well. And this could be whether it's a company, everybody uses a laptop. This could be a company where it's mixed, where you have people on a manufacturing floor. The dis distribution of that information is oftentimes probably more important than how incredibly detailed the information itself is. I would rather have our information out there and accessible to everybody, even if it's not perfect. This is what I was trying to explain earlier. Like your first iteration of a process or of a standard is not ever going to stay the same. So standardize now. This is what we're using for now. This seems to cover a wide variety of use cases. Okay, so that's good. If, if you can understand that it's going to cover a wide variety of use cases, then it's reasonable to say that we could use this on most projects. So just go ahead and standardize it and then publish that information out for everybody to use. <clears throat> Beyond that, if you need to adjust later on, then that's what you do. But at least it's already out there. It's already published and it's already part of the, the consciousness of the company. It's already out there in documentation form. We have a couple of ways, and I explained that to you, Vlad, recently on how we distribute some of the information in our company internally, but there's many different ways, and it's incredibly useful that way. So yeah, the, the future of Envision on that front is to just basically to continually build that out and do that with the utmost rigor, for sure. Absolutely. No, I think that that is, I love that future and we will absolutely have to have you back on at some point in that, in the future to, to hear about the continuation of what you guys are building. I would like to ask you about some career advice. You've given us a bunch of career advice in the past, but if you are, if you're talking to someone kind of mid-career in the last year, since, since the last time we've had a conversation, have you changed your perspectives? Do you have maybe a different piece of career advice or is something continued to stick with you in the last year or so? Yes. Yeah, so if I remember correctly, 
I may have given out advice on that previous conversation about basically continuous education on your own and maybe going into skilled trades and basically investing in yourself and putting yourself out there. And that I don't, I still stand with that, but I will say this much. I have been bringing people on our team that are much more experienced than me in many different areas. And this has been an unbelievable learning experience for me in that regard. When you're bringing people on your team that outsmart you in a lot of ways, it really tests you as an owner of a company and also tests you as a leader. Some people can't handle that. Some people would rather be the smartest person in the room at everything. So with that being said, by bringing on people that are way smarter than me, I've learned a few things about how they've navigated career and how they ended up over here as well. So one of my biggest pieces of advice for people that are in mid-career is to really hone your professionalism. This is, I think that the way that I'm presenting myself today is probably much different from how I presented myself the first time I was on the Manufacturing Hub podcast with you guys, other than my, for whatever reason, stutter today. I have one... I have a stutter today for some reason, but other than that, I present myself in a much different way because I've been honing my professional skills, my presentation skills, and just overall my, my, my craft, right? And what it is that I do. So if you're midway through your career, just keep going, man. You're doing a great job. And the truth is that I think too many people get hung up on a lot of phony and just kind of surface level information and advice from life coaches and business coaches and a lot of weird things that crop up on the internet today. I see a lot of that in people that I know personally, but yeah, my biggest piece of advice would be to continue to do what it is that you're doing and hone your craft. And also another big piece of advice, give some of that knowledge back man, because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if several people had not passed information on to me in, a, in the form of a mentorship, whether you want to look at it as a formal mentorship or just having a good conversation with a person who's been in career for 20, 30 years and they just wanted to hand information down to you in such a way. I would definitely make sure to do that because I think it pays in spades as well. I think I had a conversation with someone the other day. Honestly, you can consider them a competitor. They're just starting out in automation. They want to build equipment and I'm a handful of years into this and you would think you probably shouldn't be giving out that information press into your maybe future competitor. Who knows? I don't really care. I don't really care. I obviously there is competition. We do bid against other companies and we are definitely going for work. But at the same time, I really enjoy helping people. And I think that has paid me in spades just from a respect point of view with colleagues and people that we've worked with and people we've talked to and everything. So as a professional, focus on giving back some knowledge, focus on it in giving value and enriching other people's lives because we're all in this together. Ultimately, definitely. I'm very competitive. The company's very competitive. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I've always been about helping people in any way that I can. And even if that's like the smallest piece of advice on the business front, again, I'm not one all be all when it comes to that either. But if I can help somebody, nothing brings me more, more joy. I used to do some light duty PLC programming, program teaching and training for a couple of different companies locally. That was something that brought me a ton of joy. So I think that being able to take what you give it back, put it out in the world. Number one, you're potentially changing somebody's life. You're also giving them a potential career path and maybe improving their career. And I think that will come back to you as well. We're, we definitely want to do these things in the most selfless way possible. But the truth is, if it makes you feel good and if it gives something back, might as well do it. No, I think that that is great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that, Preston. We'd love to ask for some content advice. I, I did, and I will throw out because you had given it to us earlier as a book recommendation. 
I don't know, a hundred or so episodes ago about the E-Myth Revisited, which I think is a great book. If you have not read that, absolutely. And you're interested in what Preston's talking about, would absolutely suggest going to, going to take a read or a listen to that. But beyond that, Preston, do you have some other content, content recommendations for the audience? Yeah, I'm going to draw a little bit of a blank. So I'm going to give you a couple, maybe not as bad. We'll see. But there's someone on LinkedIn I've been recently following. I just mentioned him earlier, Sean Dotson. I, I guess he used to be a co-founder of R&D Automation. It seems like a pretty prolific automation company. Very impressed with what he's been doing. I think he has something called Automation Minute, something like, I don't know. He's got some kind of Q&A session he does with automation talks on LinkedIn. And I think it's really insightful. And a guy coming from that background with his experience with R&D, which I've seen I was watching YouTube videos on their equipment early on in my career before I even created Envision. I was always impressed with the quality build of their equipment and presentation and everything else. So I've been enjoying watching his content and reading his content. He's a very insightful guy. Don't think I've ever had a conversation with him on that front, but I would highly recommend you guys give him a follow. He's, he's definitely gaining a pretty good quality following and he's definitely got a lot of people coming in there and providing a lot of good valuable insight in the comments section for sure. I would always recommend everybody to go check out Solus PLC. That's a shameless second party plug. I don't care. I'm going to tell you right now, I've used Solus PLC back in the day and it helped out tremendously. And in, in fact, I've referred that to a number of people and always asked my employees to go look at that as well and even paid a few of them to go through that. So definitely shameless. Thank you, Preston. I appreciate sure. that. No, you're welcome. You're welcome for sure. Absolutely. And talking about shameless plugs, we'll say Sean Dotson Manufacturing Hub episode 92. If you guys are listening to, if you guys are interested to have a car, listen to him on the show. I think that was back in January, but no, Preston, th this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Last question to you as always is who should reach out? How can our listeners help you? Sure. So if, if you're interested in turnkey automation solutions, Envision will be the place to come. So we offer a turnkey solution from engineering, design, programming, fabrication, and installation. And I'll put something out here on this podcast I've maybe never said publicly, but I say to every one of our future and potential customers is we like to say that if we're not 110% sure that we're comfortable in taking on your project and completing it, we're not going to. We don't take any and every project that comes through the door. We take what we know we can get done for you guys because that's our number one concern is delivering. Anyone who needs turnkey automation solutions, anyone who's looking for controls and automation integration, give us a call. You can reach us at envisions.com. So E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N-S dot I-O, sorry, not dot com. <laughs> and 812-618-5089 is our phone number. And you can reach us at sales at envision.io. Awesome. Thank you so much, Preston. Always happy to have you back on to chat and do all of this. Thank you for coming to hang out. Thank you everyone for being here and Siemens for sponsoring standardization in automation. If you guys have made it this far and you're somehow not following Preston, Vlad, or myself, please go ahead and do that. You can do that on LinkedIn. All of our profile information should be on the events that you guys are listening to. If you guys are listening in podcast form or on YouTube or any of those other places, please hit the follow. Please give us a, if you're on podcast form, please rate us five stars and share and all of those other things. I have found that if I ask people to share Preston, people like and share. And so the, the shameless internal plug, I will say if you guys have enjoyed standardization in automation, thank you very much. Go ahead and check out the Siemens link that we have in the chat. Vlad and I will be back on Friday to do our recap of standardization and automation, get a little bit more of our flavor. Until Friday, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Preston.